was a couple Fridays ago, my wife was at work, and so we had boys' night. And boys' night means we go get pizza, play video games, and stay up late. Great time. So we go and we get the pizza, because I'm not paying delivery fees. And so we get back home, and across the street, there's two Amron trucks, and the two guys are talking to each other. And so I'm getting Ben out of the car, and I go around the other side, because my other son dropped his pizza for some reason, so we're getting that cleaned up. And meanwhile, Ben has walked over, and I'll give him credit, he didn't cross the street, he stayed in the yard. But he's standing in the yard, and begins to yell at the Amron trucks, Hey guys! We're having a boys' night! And the two guys humor him, they're in good spirits, nice guys. They go, oh yeah, sounds like fun. We got pizza! Oh, yummy! You want to come inside? <laughs> By this point, I've already, I'm at Ben, Ben, they're very busy. They can't come in right now. Let's go. This is my dad. My mom's name is Lindsay. I'm Benjamin. Benji Cooper. Cooper's his middle name. I don't know why he always feels the need to introduce himself that way. But we get inside the house, and I'm holding the door open for my other son to get in. I've got Ben in the house. He sticks his head out between my leg and the door frame, goes, we're playing Mario. Come on in. <laughs> nope. No, Ben. <laughs> Just talk, 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 talk all the time. And, you know, sometimes people just talk a lot. And that's fine. People are social. Sometimes people, like myself, we don't talk a lot. That's okay. We talk, though. Everybody talks. On average, we actually will spend about 20% of our life, one-fifth of it, talking. In some form or fashion, we might be talking to ourselves. We might talk to other people. But we're going to be talking and communicating quite a bit. That means, on average, people speak about 6,000 words a day, conservatively. Some people, they, they double that. They speak somewhere between 12 and 14,000 words a day. But we'll just say conservatively, 6,000 words every single day. That's about 12 pages, single-spaced. Now, that means in a week, we speak about 84 pages, single-spaced, conservatively. In a month, we speak 365 pages, single-spaced. And over the course of a year, on annual conservative estimates, we will speak 4,380 or so pages, single space. That's over 2.1 million words every single year. And oftentimes, we speak all of these words without ever really considering how significant each and every one of them might be. Our words matter a lot. That's what we see in our passage this morning. We're actually going to be looking at a passage in the book of Matthew, chapter 12. This is a, a continuation of a series we've been in since this past December called A Year-ish with Jesus. We're spending about a year and four or five months working through the book of Matthew, listening to his words and what he has to say. And today we're going to be looking at Matthew 12. And Matthew 12 has a lot of significant things in it that I probably should have preached on. In that chapter, Jesus very clearly demonstrates that his teachings supplant and are superior than the religious traditions that the leaders had made, many of which weren't very biblical to begin with. That's a, a big, important thing to know, especially for the end of the book. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus gives one of the earliest allusions to his death and eventual resurrection, and that's a really big deal. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus talks about the nature of the church as a family and kind of lays out a pattern for how we are to live and interact with one another today as a faith family. That's really important and has a lot of pertinence. But every time I read Matthew chapter 12, there's one paragraph that I always, I don't want to say get hung up on, but there's one paragraph that I always get stuck at. 
Because it always challenges, and it always teaches, and it always reminds me of how important our speech really is. And this is not a perspective that's unique to Jesus and his teaching. It's actually a, a very biblical perspective that stretches all the way into some of the oldest days of the Old Testament. And that's where we're going to spend a little bit of our time this morning. We're going to look at the book of Proverbs. And we're going to be looking at the wisdom that God gave his people surrounding our words. We are going to eventually get to Matthew chapter 12. But we're going to look at some of the perspective that God has to share for us on our speech from the wisdom of Proverbs. And it has a lot of lessons to impress upon us. One that's worth noting has to do with the power of our words. Our words are incredibly powerful, and they hold influence not only over our own lives, but over the lives of other people as well. And we get that impression fairly early in the book of Proverbs when we look at something like chapter 12, verse 14. It says, From the fruit of his lips a man is filled with good things, as surely as the work of his hands rewards him. Now, I don't know about you, but every job I've ever had, I would go in, I'd do my 40, 50 hours, whatever, and we'd go for the week, the two weeks, whatever the pay period is, and at the end of the week, when somebody hands me that paycheck, I have never once in my life said, no thanks, satisfaction of a job well done is good enough for me. No! And I'm pretty sure none of you have ever done that either, because that's not how it works. We go to work and we give our labors because we want to fill our lives with something good, right? No farmer plows and plants a field just for the joy of plowing and planting. They want to harvest. You don't go work an office job and sit there and file and type and deal with customer service for your health. In fact, that's a good way to lose your health if you just want to deal with the public and customer service all the time. We don't do that because it's a hobby. We do that because we want paid. Show me the money, right? We want that paycheck. And that's not greedy, that's reasonable. Because when you work, you're trying to fill your life with something good. And what our proverb is saying is just as surely as our labors fill our lives, our words, our speech, fill our lives with good things. So what does that look like? How does that work? Well, again, if I look at my, my job history, and you can probably resonate with this, I look at every job I've ever had, and most of them I've gotten because I knew somebody. Either I knew the person who was hiring, or I knew somebody who knew somebody that was hiring, or I just knew somebody who saw a help wanted sign in the paper or in the window, and they said, hey, you should go apply for this job. It'll probably be good for you. My network, my relationships are oftentimes how my life has been filled with good. And how do we build that kind of a network and those relationships? Our words have a lot to do with it. Whether our words are kind, gracious, understanding, funny, friendly, warm. That's how we build relationships. You're probably going to have a much further extended network and a much more fruitful network through those kinds of words than if you were cold or calloused or heartless or condemning. You're probably not going to have an extensive network, and that's going to diminish the relationships in your life and the good that they fill your life with. It's just one way that our words contribute to filling our lives with good. And even that word fill, it's an interesting word. It has to do with appetite in the Hebrew. You ever had those empty days where, like, you eat and you eat, you just, it never really fills, never really satisfies? I call them empty days. If you got kids, you probably just call them days, right? Because kids just eat all the time. 
But we've had those. And then you've got the, ex- the, the exception to that, the opposite, where you eat that meal, like that really hearty, stick-to-your-ribs kind of a meal, and you're just full. You might not be hungry for the rest of the day, right? You're filled. And that's what our word is referring to. Our words have the potential to fill our lives, not just with stuff that quickly evaporates, but that which satisfies, that sates our appetites, that brings us that deep satisfaction where we don't hunger. Words are powerful things that can bless our lives with good. But that blessing isn't limited to our own lives. That blessing extends to the lives of others as well. Or our words could detriment or be detrimental to others as well. We're reminded of that just a few verses after this. Verse 18, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Reckless words pierce like a sword. I had a buddy in high school, his parents were missionaries, so he traveled several different places across the world for most of his adolescent life. And he had this sword collection, different swords that he picked up from different countries, different styles. It was really interesting to look at. And his favorite was this Japanese katana, like a samurai sword. And when he was 18 years old, they lived in the country when they moved back to the States, and his parents went to Walmart to go get some groceries or something. He was alone by himself, and so he went down to the basement, and he got his Japanese katana out, 18 years old, not a kid at all, just whipping it through the air, doing his ninja stuff, which I love to laugh at because he's a big dork, and I love him. But then he went to sheathe his sword, put it back in the holster, and he missed, and he plunged it into his thigh, and that sword pierced all the way to the bone. It lacerated flesh and muscle, cut very cleanly, but deeply. And of course, he began to bleed. He took the sword out, bled and bled, tried to get up the basement stairs, passed out from blood loss. Remember, he's at home by himself. And luckily, his sister came home about a minute later, found him, tourniquet, got him to the hospital. He's fine. But I share that story so that when we read this, that reckless words pierce like a sword. We've got an image in our head. Because our words can pierce, they can lacerate, they can flay people to the bone. We've got this expression, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words, what? (laughs) Words will never hurt me, right? We can use our words, by the way. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. There's a good sentiment there, develop some tough skin. But yeah, it's not true. Because words can hurt a lot. Worse than that, words can haunt. I don't love you anymore. Why can't you be more like your brother or sister? Gosh, you're just so stupid sometimes. In the right context, from the right people, those are words that haunt us. Maybe they were spoken to us as children. Maybe they were spoken to us as adults. It doesn't really matter. They leave scars that the world will never see. Because words can pierce. But notice what the proverb says. It doesn't say mean, hurtful words pierce like a sword. It says reckless words. And reckless words don't necessarily intend to do harm. And they're not necessarily mean or hurtful. Reckless words are simply words that are spoken without care or caution or wisdom. You ever been in an argument Maybe you're arguing with your spouse, coworker, friend, or whatever. Said something you didn't mean. Or maybe you said it more strongly than you wanted to or intended. 
You can apologize. You can try to take those words back, but words can never be unheard. They can cut, they can pierce, but they can't be taken back. And maybe you didn't speak those words intending to harm. You didn't intend to be mean, but they were reckless. Reckless words simply don't consider the power that our words have. You ever put your foot in your mouth? I am the king of putting my foot in my mouth. It is embarrassing. Case in point, we were at a funeral. Our our dear friend, Phyllis Kettering, she passed away a few months ago. Her funeral was here in this building, and so I was kind of overseeing things, and her son-in-law was going to sing a song as part of the ceremony. And so I'm speaking with him and going over the order of service. And there was some congregational singing, uh, some hymns that we were going to sing together as part of the service. And I asked him, you obviously are a, a good vocalist. You know how to do this. Would you like to just lead the singing? And he said, no, why don't you do that? I don't particularly enjoy singing in front of people, and so just kind of offhandedly, I said, okay, it's your funeral. (sighs) As the words came out of my mouth, there's no, right? But you can't unspeak the words. Just shove that foot way in there. Now, he was very gracious about it, which I was very thankful for. But what if he had been of a different demeanor? Because funerals can make people very emotional. What if that was deeply insensitive? that hurt him, that offended him. I didn't intend for any of that. But reckless words don't really care about our intentions. They can pierce nonetheless, because we simply don't acknowledge the power that our words have. Words are kind of like guns in some ways. Firearms are not good things. They're not bad things. They're just things. And when we respect them, and we treat them as powerful things with caution and respect— they're fine. But when we don't treat them with respect, when we don't use the proper care and concern, that's when people get hurt. And the same thing is true with our words. Our words have tremendous power, and that power can harm. But you look at the second half of that proverb, it says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Destructive words, reckless words, they can hurt, but wise words, patient words, words that understand the significance of speech, those can actually bring healing, not only in our lives, but in the lives of other people. You ever been having a bad day, or maybe you're just grumpy, you woke up on the wrong side of the bed, and somebody said something to you, or they complimented you, or maybe you just had a good conversation with somebody, it just puts you in an entirely different mood. You have that happen? That's because the words of the wise bring healing. There's power in our speech. We need to be aware of that. Not only is there power, but Proverbs also tries to impress upon us that there's a great value in our words. Powerful things often are valuable. And as a valuable thing, we want to treat our words with care and concern. Our Proverbs in chapter 10, they talk about this. This is a little collection of Proverbs, starting in verse 19. When words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little value. The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of judgment. Like we said, it's a little collection that kind of feeds into one another, as we're going to see. And it starts off with, words are many, sin is not absent. Now, that doesn't mean that if you talk a lot, there's something wrong with you. Sometimes people just talk a lot. 
Sometimes they talk to random people like my son, but we just, we talk a lot, right? And that's okay. That's just a personality thing. Rather, this is talking about a character flaw. Not just talking a lot, but talking about things we ought not talk about. Sharing things we ought not share. Speaking foolishly or arrogantly. We get a little clarity if we look at some other Proverbs. Uh, Proverb 20, verse 19. A gossip betrays confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. There is a certain temptation. If you're talking a lot, you've got to have something to talk about. And sometimes that means we may transgress trusts in our relationship. We may share information not meant to be shared we may talk about people without them being in our presence. There's a certain temptation that does come along with many words. Sometimes that is the temptation of gossip. There's something else, though. We look at Proverbs 18.2. Sorry, it's a weird way to say that. A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinion. Understanding oftentimes is synonymous with listening to other people, seeking wisdom. You ever met somebody who is an expert in everything? And they're convinced that everybody needs to know what they have to say because it's very important. You met somebody like that? I had one guy in first service just, yes, yes, I work with that guy, right? We've met people like this, and oftentimes, generally, they're not well-liked because they just talk, 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 where there are many words, sin, in this case, maybe arrogance, maybe pride, maybe boastfulness, is not absent. Words are kind of like a checkbook in some way. You can write a whole lot of checks, thousands of them, in fact. But if there's nothing in the bank, those checks are worthless. Doesn't matter how many there are. But the wise person, they discipline their tongues. They weigh their words carefully so that when you speak, or when they speak, rather, you can listen and know you can take that to the bank. It's worth something. That's why our, our proverb goes the way that it does. Where words are many, sin is not absent, but the wise man holds, learned to hold his tongue. And that word hold, that's a, that's a very interesting word. It's related to an Arabic word with a highly specific meaning. It talks about a piece of wood that a herder or shepherd would put in a goat's mouth to keep it from sucking. They felt the need to make a whole word for that. But goats would sometimes just... And so if you put the wood in there... Right, And that's kind of the picture that's painted. Sometimes people that talk too much just... But the wise person, they learn when not to speak. They're not in a hurry to spend their 2.1 million words. They wait till they have something to say that has substance, that has value, that recognizes the power of that speech. And this is a good lesson for us to hear, maybe as people who want to use our words. It's also a good lesson to know in an age where people are encouraged to talk about everything that happens and to share every opinion they might have under the sun, whether that be through podcast, blog, news feed, where words are many, church, sin is not absent. Something to keep in mind, that maybe all the voices in our culture may not be worth listening to. But there's more to this. We see that the number of words is taken into account here whenever we're considering the value. The proverb goes on, verse 20, says, The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little value. Choice silver. Now, I, I want to pause here, step aside. There's a connection being made here. The tongue of the righteous versus the heart of the wicked. Those two words are in parallel. 
in this proverb, which means there's a connection here in the mind of the writer. There's something about our speech that is connected to the condition of our hearts. And that's a very important detail to hold on to a little later when we go to Jesus' words. But this again, our words are valuable. Verse 21, the lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of judgment. So not only do our words have the power to fill our lives with good things or to fill the lives of others with good things, they have the power to nourish. They have the power to sustain, to speak truth, to speak life, to speak sustenance, to speak wisdom, encouragement, love, graciousness into other people's lives and actually raise them up. Our words are incredibly valuable. But the fool, they die for lack of judgment. And to say that they die is probably hyperbole. It's probably a little exaggeration. But when you consider words, those that do not use their words wisely, that don't understand the power and the value they have, people that just talk, 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 talk about too much or about things they ought not talk about, there is a detriment that they suffer in life. Eventually people learn, I can't trust your words. I can't believe what you have to say. I can't take stock in your yes or your no. I can't trust you with information because how do I know you're not going to go blab about it like you have with other things? When we don't recognize the value of words and we use them poorly or foolishly, it does invite detriment into our lives. Maybe we don't die, but certainly there's, excuse me, there's a consequence. Words are valuable things. Now, this perspective on words, it may sound just incredibly practical. It is practical, but it's also very biblical. The reason that God impresses upon us the power and the value of our words is because our words are not just things that we say. They are inherently a spiritual matter. And this becomes all too clear when we take a look at what Jesus has to say in Matthew chapter 12. We finally got there. So here's the scene. Jesus has been teaching people, and he's been uh, eating some grain from the field on the Sabbath day. And so the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they've got a real big problem with this because Jesus just keeps ignoring all the made-up rules that they came up with, which is a bit of a problem for them. It rubs them the wrong way. But they can't just come out and criticize him and what he says because he's been doing all these gosh darn good deeds and healing people and casting out demons. And it's really hard to argue against somebody who's just been blessing people left and right. And so they just say, you know what? He's demon-possessed. All these miracles that he's been doing, he's an agent of Satan. That's why this is happening. Now, Jesus hears this, obviously takes a little issue with it. And so he lays out a theological explanation for why that doesn't make any sense. And he lays out just a logical reason why that doesn't make any sense. And then he gets to the real heart of the issue. Or rather, I should say the heart of the Pharisees. Because that's the problem. There's something wrong in their spirit. This is the way he puts it. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? Listen to this part. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Do you remember the Proverbs? The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little value. There's the connection. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone who uh, will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word or every frivolous word 
they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Words matter. In fact, they matter so much, as Jesus indicates at the end here, God pays attention to our words and how we use them. Do we recognize the power and the value that they have? Because we will give account for that. Beyond that, though, the real value or the real heart of what Jesus is saying here is sort of the litmus test that our words serve as. They tell the truth about what's happening in here and who I am. It's kind of like uh, if you have a soda glass or a, a glass you put on your countertop, you pour soda into it and you watch it rise and rise and rise and like it starts to get to the top so you, you stop pouring, but then what happens? It keeps rising. Coke is the worst about this. Coke is like the liar of sodas because you get it close to the top and it just fizzes so much and the carbonation rises and rises and it gets to the rim and you're watching the water tension and it just spills all over the place. You helplessly watch as your counter turns into a mess. It overflows. And Jesus says our hearts are kind of like those glasses. We're constantly pouring things into them. We might be pouring desires, we might be pouring ideas, we might be pouring teachings, we might be pouring all kinds of stuff from life. Our hearts are continually being filled. And all that stuff that we fill our hearts with just overflows out of our mouth in the form of our words. And what that means is if we're filling our hearts with God-honoring things, with righteous things, virtuous things, we're filling our hearts with the word of God, with patient, kind, gracious, loving things. Guess what's going to come out of our mouth? Guess how our words are going to sound, what that power is going to be used for? Holy, God-honoring, virtuous things. Because from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. But the inverse is true, too. If we're filling our heart with lusts, with covetousness, with greed, with bitterness, with false teachings and ideas and perspectives that make no sense, that don't line up with God's word and his creation, like, guess what's going to overflow out of our mouths? Words that are not God-honoring or virtuous and don't line up with God's intentions. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And there's a kind of a litmus test in there. To listen to our words and to listen to what we say. Because it tells the truth about who we really are. If my words are constantly critical, I can always find a flaw or a problem with somebody. And I complain about what's happening at home. I complain about what's happening at my job. I complain about what's happening at church. I complain about what's happening in the government. I complain about what's happening in the news. I complain about what's happening in all of these other places. If, if criticism and complaining are what's coming out of my mouth frequently, I have a, I have a bit of bad news. The problem may not be out there. It may be right here. I might have a heart issue. If I'm at home, if I can't admit that I'm wrong and I get into arguments with my spouse or I gaslight my coworkers or my friends and I'm just always convinced it's my way is the right way and I can't ever seem to understand why everybody else is wrong, I have a bit of bad news. They may not be wrong. There may be something in here that's wrong. But the inverse is true too. If I find myself being gracious and patient and loving with people, if I find myself compelled to speak the truth kindly, even when it's not convenient, that's a good indicator that something's going right in here. I'm putting the right kind of stuff in my heart. Our hearts are valuable tools, or valuable, or sorry, our words rather, are valuable tools because they're not just powerful and valuable, they're spiritual matter. They're sort of a litmus test on what's really going on in here.
So the question we have to wrestle with is, how am I going to use my words? Am I going to use them recklessly or frivolously? Or am I going to discipline my tongue? Am I going to be mindful of how I speak to others, to the ones that I love, and the ones that, frankly, I don't love? Am I going to be mindful of the tone that I use? Am I going to be mindful of my intentions, the kinds of things that I talk about? Because all of this factors into our speech and what we're filling our hearts with. And maybe that's what we ought to be looking at. What do my words say about what my heart is full of? And do I need to make a change? Do I need to fill my heart with God-honoring things and virtuous things? Do I need to cut out the junk food? Do I need to cut out watching that show, listening to that music, reading that book, listening to that podcast? Is it doing something in here that's showing up out here? How will we use our words? Our 2.1 million words, every one of which has powerful, valuable potential in our lives and in the lives of others question to wrestle with. There's a challenge, sometimes a hard challenge, in these words of Jesus, which is why I always get hung up on this paragraph. But there's also a warm and welcoming invitation in the words of Jesus. Come to me, all who are weak and weary, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. For my burden is easy, my yoke is light. There's an invitation from Jesus to come and to be changed because who we currently are isn't who we have to remain. There's an invitation to accept the grace that comes through him and through his cross, to have those sins and those regrets that we hang on to, those words we spoke that, that we're haunted by, forgiven, and to be given a new heart. He says in the book of Ezekiel to his people, God says to his people, I will take their heart of stone this heart that is hardened to me in my ways, and I will give them a heart of flesh, a human heart, a heart that longs for him, to obey him, to be filled by his word. That's the invitation of Jesus that sits before us today, to come to him and find grace through what he's done. We've got three young men who want to make that decision this morning. Their names are Carter, Caleb, and Bentley Cook. And so I know, Bentley, you're up here. Why don't you come up? Are Caleb and Carter in here yet? They're on their way. They're squirrely. They'll be here. You'll know. So we'll wait for them. They're going to make their confession of faith. And I just want you to know, baptistry's still full. If you have the desire to come to Christ and to say, I need this grace, I need this forgiveness, you can make that decision today or if it's something you just want to talk about more. We've got a connection card on the back of the seat in front of you. You can take that out and just say, I want to talk about Jesus. Put your name, your number on there. I'd love to have that conversation with you today. For right now, though, we're going to celebrate these guys and their decision to make Christ their Lord. Come on over, boys. All right, and you're going to have to speak loud and proud. I know that won't be hard. But for the benefit of these people here, I'd like you guys to make your confession of faith after me. I believe, I believe. that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the, Christ. The, Son the, the Son of the living God, and my Savior. All right. Boys, let's head on back. We got baptisms to do. Something to celebrate today. And it can be something to celebrate in your life as well. For the rest of us who've already made Christ our Lord and seek to follow him more, I would strongly encourage, look at our hearts, look at our words, weigh where we're at, rely on his grace and his forgiveness, 
And take that next step forward by filling your heart more and more with his words and with his truth. You'll be able to tell, and so will everybody else, by the words that we speak. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today, and we thank you for your truth and the challenge that it brings sometimes. Because speech is a difficult thing to control. James taught us about that well in his writings. But we pray for your guidance, and we pray for your grace, and we pray for your help. Make us aware of what fills our hearts. Let us fill it with true and virtuous, righteous things. Let our speech be gracious and kind. Let it reflect the goodness that we've experienced through the cross of Jesus. Let us nourish ourselves and others. Let us fill our lives with good as well as those around us. Let our words be a source of truth. Let them be a source of healing and encouragement. Guide us in this endeavor as we just seek to honor you, not just with our lives and our actions, but with our speech as well. It's in the name of Christ we pray these things. Amen.